Welcome back, Rage Nation. Definitely not PR friends. Myself, Pete. He needs to stop, like, fucking getting cute with these kicks. John the Mountain Man Stokes. You're not putting them on my models, motherfucker. Chris the non-tech Asian. Put the tape measure up and get some wages. You, yeah, no, you really frustrated me. You walked away and you came back and your scalp would be thrown across the room. <laughs> I'm just here so I don't get fined. I will will share with you my one rage quit story. You know, I'm a robot and I don't have a solo or personality. Eight. This is going to be a really great opportunity for everybody to see how you effed up. I think the world needs a warning, Chris, for you. Well, that's on the world. Just like we've given them a warning about coronavirus. Now that they've had the warning, all bets are fucking off. Welcome back, Rage Nation. We got Pete and Chris back with uh, another episode of the God Tearing. You're welcome. Yeah, apparently the one of the few podcasts doing God Tier content, and we're happy to be doing it. Well, God Tier is fun, so that makes sense. Yeah, and it's just it's it's just hopefully going to pick up more where more people start talking about the game uh, because it is. It is a really good game. I really enjoy playing it. Obviously, that's why we're talking about it so much. And we'll we'll go ahead and keep putting out content because people want to hear about it. We're just going to talk about a couple things today. Chris and I are going to talk about one of the games that we just played. And we had a lot of things we noticed that came out of that game. And then that's going to lead us into the second half of this show where we talk about and rank the class of shapers so that's our class that we're going to go ahead and talk about each one and rank them from worst to first we are but first i would like to start with an airing of grievances okay well just to let everyone at home listening know if you're ever really having a lot of fun with a model don't let pete like read the fucking cards about it because he will suck all of the fun out of it and tell you that you can't use your models the way you want so this like also asshole. goes in with, with our game and the shapers because Chris, you were playing shale, and you were actually actually misplaying shale, right? Well, I think <laughs> I was playing playing shale and more specifically landslide in the spirit of how landslide needs to be played. Those of you that haven't caught in on from some of the battle reports and stuff that we did early on. We did some battle reports where Chris played, especially the one on Tabletopia, where he played Landslide, and he used Landslide's ability, which is uh, Earthquake, and he was using Earthquake basically offensively for his own models. He was moving like Rangosh around and all these other models that he had, and I just kind of looked at the card because I picked up Landslide and I gave our group text to chat and I was like, hey, by the way, Chris, Earthquake can't be targeted on your own models. And what was your response? Well, you better have some good fucking evidence of that because that's not what it says on the card. Yeah, and that's where I pointed out to Chris that the symbol on the card action, this skull means you can only target enemy models and Chris had to Verify that with his good friend, Jamie, and it got verified. Damn it. All I'm saying is this would be removed. This problem would be removed if instead of me having to know what all the symbols are, if the card just said enemy. Yeah, I mean, it might be one of those things where they just they were playtesting it and just maybe it saved some space. I don't know. I, I, they're like, hey, we got some space on the left. Let's make those symbols. 
Either so, way, I don't know. Now I need to go find models that can move Rangosh around, and I think I already have. But I'm going to wait till it's a surprise for you. <laughs> Fair. So, just uh, while we're talking about that, make sure that you guys are supporting us on the on our YouTube channel. Uh, we've also been streaming a lot of stuff to our Facebook uh, page on uh, Rage Quit Wire. Like we streamed uh, the other day, we played our our game that we're going to talk about here in a minute. And we streamed that on Facebook. It also went to YouTube. So just check that out because we're actually starting to put out a lot of uh, video content. And because of our patrons uh, for Rage Quit Wire, we were able to start getting uh, Adobe editing software, which will allow us to edit up a lot of the video we're taking and producing some better, better quality videos. That way it's not just streaming because Chris and I were talking yesterday and anytime you stream, especially when it's newer cards or new, newer models that you haven't played, it can be tough to keep the conversation lively. So that was something we definitely talked about where it's like, yeah, maybe we need to edit this one up. Yeah, I mean, like, I can't use all of my power for entertainment and to actually try and win a game. Yep. You only so get the residual sure entertainment from me freaking out. <laughs> and there were some yesterday in the stream, there were some good moments where you definitely got a little ragey and a little salty. And we'll talk about that here in a second. I thought uh, I was so pretty, pr- pretty calm. You you were there, there. There were just some moments where you could tell you were very frustrated. So, well, some of those we, things are some fucking bullshit. So before we get into it, Chris, uh, let's just go ahead and share what three champions we brought. Because we played Chaos, which... If you guys haven't played Chaos before as a scenario, Chaos is when the losing player for that turn gets to roll four dice and how many ever hits you get, you get to move that many hexes, one hex over into an empty hex. So that was the one we played. And Chris, what were the three champions that you brought? Well, I decided to diversify my experience. And so I played all new champions. I played with Rodri holding down the middle, and then I played with Sneaky Pete, who you've played against me with, but I decided I wanted to try out for myself. And then the last one that I played with was Wraith, because Shale and Landslide are dead to me. <laughs> okay. Because and then what you the did. List, the list that I played <laughs> is I actually went with Shale as one of my champions, but I also went double uh, Shaper. I actually brought Rattlebones as well. And then my final model that I picked was Grimgut. So Grimgut's kind of my bay. I'm definitely a big fan of. Wallowing in some shit. Yes. Hey, hey, baby. Hey, enjoy those boogers. That's right. My little snot pickles. So let's just kind of talk about how the game ebbed and flowed a little bit, Chris. So with the way that the game kind of started going, what were some of the main ways you were kind of trying to plot your way to victory? Well, I mean, basically, I kind of look for matchups that I think are favorable. So as I looked at it, I was like, all right, well, Wraith is on this side that also has Rattlebone. And I I felt like that was a good matchup for Wraith, like Wraith could deal with Rattlebone. And then... Uh, Shale was kind of in the middle, and uh, so was so was uh, Rodri, but that one was a little bit tougher for me to deal with. And then on the other wing was 
Sneaky Pete and Grimgut, which I thought that was a good good kind of matchup for me that Sneaky Pete could do a lot to Grimgut. So was your idea just to kind of hold down the middle with Rodri, you Sneaky Pete and the Stabbers to kill Grimgut, and then just get your points with Wraith where you could get them? Yeah, and and then I'm also kind of thinking about, you know, I thought that I could make Rodri more sturdy in the center than I ended up doing. So yeah. there was there's some room for growth there. But okay. yeah, I I like the I like the matchup of Sneaky Pete versus Grimgut, and I like the matchup of Wraith versus Rattlebone. So I, I felt like the the assumptions with those were correct. Yeah, the the problem I had is I didn't have a great plan going into this one because I had two shapers and I feel like a lot of times when you play a shaper, they play very reaction-like and we'll talk about this when we get into our class discussion. But I, I kind of feel like I had to react. So I just kind of played them a little bit more fluid Whereas Grimgut, I was like, I'm just going to kind of use Grimgut to kill as many followers as I can with my ultimate and just kind of be a pain in the butt, kind of clogging up the middle. So that was my general kind of game plan. And I felt like I just had to react to what you did. Uh, So the way the game kind of played out, and we're not going to go turn by turn, but I'll just kind of lay out how we got to a certain point. But basically... um, I ended up winning turn one, which I don't love. To, I don't love winning turn one because I think turn two, it's important to kind of control that. So I actually feel like a lot of times it's better to not win turn one. I, I mean, what's your thought on that, Chris? I, I just think turn one is it is not a necessity to win it. I, I, I don't yeah. think that I, I don't ever want to throw turn one, but whether you win it or not, that is not what the game hinges on. The game hinges on. Turns two and three. Yeah. So turn two and three actually were pretty interesting because you actually won turn two, but I thought I was going to win turn two because do you recall what Grimgut did turn two? Yeah, Grimgut went in there and killed a bunch of followers on his ultimate turn. And, uh, you know, that was annoying, but it it wasn't enough. I was able to stack in banners and, you know, do some work. Yeah, the problem was is that Grimgut got me eight points that turn, but I couldn't get to your banners because they were on the flanks. You did a really good job of using Sneaky Pete and Wraith to plant your banners where I couldn't quite get to them um, because you were able to move those hexes back where I couldn't get to them to squash your banner. So even though I ended up getting eight points under Grimgut's ultimate, I still couldn't win the turn because you smashed my banners and I just couldn't get to yours. All part of the plan. But but turn threes where it kind of started turning because I started kind of abusing Rodri. Uh, I actually ended up killing him, knocking him out, and then I actually was able to make it difficult where he couldn't score his banner because I was using Shale and Landslide to basically squash his banner and then push him two hexes away where he really wasn't as effective in the fight. Yeah, so, I mean, Rodri, as obviously everyone knows that he's a major liability movement-wise. And although it seems like he should be able to plant himself and not be moved, the problem is once you smash a banner, then that ability is gone. So 
it's well, I think any time your opponent has some, yeah, anytime your opponent has some really good hit effects, I think you need to be careful with bringing Rodri. Like if you're in a tournament and you see somebody has Shale, you might not want Shale or anybody else that has strong hit effects. You might not want to bring Rodri that game just because once Rodri's banner goes away, he's very easy to move with effects. Plus, it was easy to put um, because he's armor so blights on him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and so I think I that's something you just need that. to be aware of. Yeah, um, yep. and, and I mean, you know, something else to consider is, uh, you know, you probably don't want to bring him against Shellis, uh, or maybe you just don't want to bring him because I don't <laughs> really feel like he's gonna make a list of four. So I, I like, I played a couple games where with him that I liked. And I think next time you meet before we do our guardian episode, I'll definitely play Rodri against you. And we'll see if we have some differing, different opinions kind of popping up. But uh, I played him in some games where he did some really strong things. Well, every model has some strengths. The question is how do they line up comparative to the other models within their class? And yep. I, yeah. So, but yeah. this isn't the Guardians episode, uh, despite but what Zaymester says. Yeah, <laughs> we ended up, uh, so we ended up get. I barely squeaked turn three out because before you could, um, I don't know, maybe you did kill Grimgut that turn, but basically I ended up moving Grimgut back so that way you couldn't kill him again. <laughs> so, um yeah, that's just something that's kind of saved me giving you points that turn. And then, yeah, I just, it, it was really an interesting game from there. Basically, it came down to some very small activations. We went all the way to turn five. And I don't know, Chris, what do you think was kind of the turning point of that game where you're like, okay, this is probably where the game kind of turned on. Well, there, on there, were, you- there were a few. So, and yeah. I, I won't make this long. I'll make it brief. But, um, I felt like this is a this that game is a good example of where reps is, are important because I played three champions I had literally never played before, and if I had played them before, yeah. I would have a greater grasp of how to activate them and win. And so the the problem was I I activated some some models out of order of what would have been ideal. And then it also came down to a couple of die rolls. And uh, and right toward the end, I could have gotten another takeout against Grimgut, and it would have won me the game. Uh, and I was literally a success short on the on the uh, the, the damage roll. So um, it it wasn't it, it was the closest game that we've played. Uh, I, I think that you've played against anyone. I think I've played against anyone. Um, and I'm not surprised by that. We've had lots of close games over the years. So, yep. um, yeah, uh, get, get those reps in, uh, you know, know, know your models. Uh, we, we And for the sake of a stream, I think it's probably better to play models that you're more experienced with. We were trying to be a little bit more uh, creative and uh, trying out new things on the stream and, and, you know, showing those errors. We're not ones to hide from the fact that we can make errors and, you know, over script uh, what we put yeah. out there. So um, yeah, it, it came down to a couple of activations and a little bit of a dice roll issue. And, and that was, that was that. 
Well, and there was a couple of times where Sneaky Pete ended up swinging on uh, Shale, and you actually whiffed on Shale a couple times. Yeah, well, you know how I feel about that. <laughs> so, F you, dice gods. What We'll do the same thing we usually talk about. And those that didn't see the stream, I ended up barely winning it because I had a banner down, and Chris still had Rodri's ultimate, so I had to wait for Rodri to use the ultimate and drop his banner before I could go crush it. And Chris just left a little bit of a window open where he put Rodri's banner down and Grimgut was able to do his roll three hexes. Yeah, that and roll thing is fucking bullshit. Because <laughs> he's a big fat guy. Well, no, it, it's the problem is, so you've said, well, the roll is three hexes in a straight line. And so yeah. it's only situational, but it really isn't. And the reason why it isn't is because you have a movement of one during the clash phase. So you can reposition your angle to give yourself whatever is the new angle. And now you can roll into wherever you need to go. So either that roll needs to be two hexes or the movement during the clash phase for Grimgut has to be zero so that he can't reorder and then get the straight line, which wherever the ideal straight line is, right? Like, it needs to truly be situational or, you know, just lessen that role because being able to move four in the clash phase is fucking nuts. And especially when you consider that there are other models that are supposed to be able to bounce all over the place, Sneaky Pete, for instance, that can only move one in the clash phase. Like it's, it's, it's just fucked up. Here's where the balance is for Grimgut because Grimgut is kind of a weird uh, maelstrom, and we'll talk about him in the maelstrom episode more. But generally speaking, he can only target one follower. So he can, when he's attacking, he can only get you really just the two points because he only has one attack. And the difference there is that it's it's just he plays differently, and I I don't know how to explain it. But the fact that you're looking to set up his ultimate for that one huge burst turn. And then besides that, he's like getting you like two points, you know, maybe a point for his banner being brought down or four points of his banner sits there. But he's not like the other Maelstroms where each turn they can easily kill like two, three, four followers. So it's just he's different. And I like the way he plays because I I like his uh, followers a lot. The Retchlings are cool. Uh, But... Yeah, that being said... And by cool, you mean they look like boogers. Yep, cool boogers. They are are not that cool. (laughs) I ended up squeaking out the uh, turn five win, but who was your MVP, Chris? Who was the one in the game where you're like, okay, this person really did some work, this champion? Well, it was situational, but it was was Wraith, because Wraith was able to, you know, create that mismatch with Rattlebone. But... It, uh, if the if the die just gave me one more success on those damage rolls against Grimgut at the end, obviously it would have been it would have been Sneaky Pete because Sneaky Pete did so much as far as taking it, it. Well, he would have done so much as far as getting two key takeouts during key turns. So it's it it's it's a mixed bag at as it sits with what ended up happening. Uh, Wraith performed the best, but Sneaky Pete was definitely a reasonable option there if things had just yeah, we'll, gone slightly. We'll talk, 
we'll talk more about the things we liked with Wraith when we get on to the uh, main topic. But my MVP probably is I, I think we had kind of a slight. Well, I don't know. I think he actually might have been right. I think it was actually probably Shale because Shale was able to use Landslide to, you know, kind of keep Rodri in check and Landslide just help manipulate the board and set up different kills and different, you know, objectives that I could claim. And um, yeah, the MVP, was, the MVP was Landslide. Like, I mean, that that's what it comes down. Like, I mean, you're, you're saying Shale in the sense of like Shale's warband, but it was Landslide. Landslide was able to get so much work done. And okay. of course, because Landslide's the one that actually has the God tier in him. Yeah, right. He's the one that controls the God tier. Yep. Which is why I think I should be able to get like four points for taking him out. Like, I shouldn't get the four points for taking out Shale. I should get the four points for taking out the model that has the God tier in him. <laughs> but yeah, which when you, when you did kill him that first time, you tried to give yourself four steps. And I was like, whoa, whoa. Well, oh. he, I, I had to do a lot to do some killing. So. Uh, yeah, so the, yeah, I think that your your MVP was that shale and more specifically landslide element of that. Um, and and we'll we'll get into more about shale here in just a second. Yep. So make sure you guys are checking out the stream because we're doing a lot of those uh, a lot of those matches. We'll start doing more battle reports and um, just putting out a lot of really cool content for um, for everybody to check out. So. Just make sure that you guys are tuning in and subscribing to the uh, Rage Bit Wire YouTube channel and the Facebook page or wherever you want to you want it to stream. But uh, I think that for a lot of people listening that are a little bit newer to God Tier, it'll be a good experience over the next little while as Pete and I are both learning and experimenting with you know new combos and all that kind of stuff. You, you'll kind of be able to go on that journey with us. Yeah, and if you want to interact with that, uh, there is a chat that you have available in the stream. And that is something that I keep up on the computer while we're playing. So if you want to, you know, interact and kind of, you know, even talk shit, that's cool. I mean, you can come on and talk about how Chris is slow playing and he needs to hurry up. It, it would be nicer if some people talk some shit to you for once. <laughs> I always get the shit talked at me. That's it. bullshit. All right. So let's go ahead and get into our main topic. So we're talking about shapers this week and there are some people that argue shapers are the strongest class, and we can talk about that towards the end of it. But shapers are a class that they get an extra step when they make a claim action. So whenever you slap your banner down, you're going to get two steps instead of one in the plot phase. And generally speaking, most of the shapers have some way of manipulating the board or manipulating different blights and boons that get put out. They're kind of like your support class. So... What do you, well, let's just start with something general, Chris. What do you kind of like, and then what don't you like about the Shaper class? So, the thing that I like the most about the Shaper class is the reward for their play style is automatic. They're not having to fight to get their reward. As soon as they make a claim action, they get that additional point. They don't have to wait till the end of the turn to see if their banner is still alive and whether or not it's been smashed by an opponent to get the reward. They don't have to fight through a bunch of health boxes to kill a champion to get their plus one point. They don't have to kill a bunch of models uh, to be able to get the, you know, 
bonus for each time they kill a follower. Like they, as soon as they lay their claim action, which is good advice, you should be doing it. They get their, their benefit. And so I feel like because of the nature of how they get rewarded, they are a very strong class. So what's maybe a negative of the class then in your opinion, something that you're like, okay, this is maybe a catch 22 or something you got to be careful of. I, I don't think there are a lot of negatives with shapers. Um, if you're seeing something, please let me know. But I, I just see that they have a set of abilities. A lot of them are in addition to that claim action element that makes up the class. Each one has some different strengths and weaknesses by the, in the sense of an individual model, right? Some of them put out more boons and blights, other ones more movement, but I don't think there's really a big problem with the class. I don't think that they're really weak in any area. I, that actually was going to be, so that's the one thing I would say that with shapers is that they're not, I feel like they're not directly getting you your points. Sometimes I feel like besides the claim action, which if you're not doing that claim action each turn with your shaper, I think you're, you're not playing a shaper correctly. I think that that is something that you have to do with one of your actions in the plot phase. That's why when we played our game, Chris, it was huge that in the plot phase, you basically used your, your water, your swirly, whatever things, right? The, uh, the splashlings, you were basically use them to move uh, rattle bones a hex away from the objective hex. So not only did I have to use one of my actions for the claim action, but then I had to use it to move to the hex. So I think that's kind of where you you have to know that shapers are going to make a claim and you have to make it as difficult for them as possible to do that. But the major, I'd say it's not even a weakness. It's just that Generally speaking, the shapers are good at a bunch of different things. So sometimes that doesn't make them great at one thing, right? Yeah, they, there's, but I don't think that's weakness, right? They just, they're, they're able they're to flexible. have more resources. Yeah, they're, they're more yeah, flexible. They're, like I, I like the flexibility of them. Uh, to make some comparisons here, I, I think that shapers are very much uh, a class that is similar to the Masons Guild and Guild Ball right? Where they are just able to do a variety of things relatively well without massive weaknesses. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there, there's a reason why a lot of people think that shapers are one of the best classes in, in God tier. And there's definitely a reason for that. So let's just go ahead and get into this. We're going to rank them from worst to first. So Chris, who is the worst shaper by the uh, Rage Quit Wire ranking system? Oh, obviously Rattle Bone. So I did give Rattlebones kind of a go, and I I don't know. You, you start off with Rattlebones. I'm kind of still yeah, so thinking about there's, it. Yeah, there's a few problems here. Uh, the Rattlebones kind of has the thing going that Morgan does with just putting out Blights and Boons and affecting Blights and Boons. And because that's what Rattlebone is doing... There's not a lot of other things Rattlebone can do. So I just kind of sat there and watched Rattlebone and I was like, what are you supposed to achieve with this model? Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it, it's 
So Rattle Bones is okay. I, I wouldn't put more. I wouldn't put Rattle Bones in uh, Morgan class, right? Uh, Morgan's just a lot of times really counterproductive. I felt like I could do way more with Rattle Bones than I could uh, than I could with Morgan. So some things I like about Rattle Bones just kind of off the bat. I do like the idea that I can put hexes on people and the hexes actually matter, just because it it just the fact that you can just go, I'm going to shoot a hex bolt at you and you can gain any blight that I choose. That's that's a big deal because, for example, Rodri, I kept putting the armor blight on him because it, obviously I had things that I wanted to do to Rodri and I actually killed him once, which I didn't have a, a slayer, but I still got four points for it. And it allowed me to manipulate him and hit him. Um, I still got two points for doing my claim action, so... That's something that Morgan obviously doesn't get. So I feel like that's that's better just innate by itself. And then I, I, I just like the Hexlings better than the Cold Bones that Morgan has. Just because they can put out a Hex. Uh, they can gain a boon of their choice. And you can actually purge magic, which means that you can move all boons and blights from the Hexlings to a friendly model within range. So if I give them a boon that let's just say it's a damage boon, I can then move that to somebody where I can use it effectively. Um, and I also just like the roll the bones ability on rattle bones, uh, where basically you can either remove a boon or blight from a model within that many hexes and place it on a different model. So there was a couple of times where I took like a boon that you had on Wraith and then I moved it to one of my models. So I did that a couple of times. And I know that that made you a little annoyed. So I don't know. She just does some cool things, but they're just not as good as the other shapers. Sure, I, I agree. And I don't think that by any means Rattlebone is as bad as as Morgan. Um, I, just, I, I just made the comparison in the sense that it's a model that its focus is moving around boons and blights, which is kind of Morgan's Morgan's thing there. But yes, Rattlebone is a way more efficient model and a much better class than Morgan. The big problem I actually have with Rattlebone, because Rattlebone's pretty decent all around, uh, pretty quick, decent evasion and or decent decent dodge and uh, armor stats. Uh, can put out decent damage, and the hexes are great. The thing that I think really puts Rattlebones at the bottom for me is there's really not a great spot where you can control her ultimate because her ultimate lets you move one blight from each of your hexlings within range, and then you choose an enemy champion to put those blights on. So the problem is you don't have a lot of control over the hexes you put that get put onto those uh, hexlings. So it's hard to be like, okay, um, if there was an easier way to generate the blights and put them on the hexlings, that would make her ultimate better. But there's not a lot of great ways to do it by herself. It, it's that part's a little clunky. So it, I actually didn't even have a great chance to use that ultimate. But if it was easier to put a hex on them, to put a, I should say, a blight on the hexlings, that would make the ultimate far better. It's just it was kind of clunky and hard to use that ultimate. Yeah, I kind of wish that the Grasping Curse and the Deadly Curse could target your own models, could target your own Hexlings, and then you yeah. could get those Blights out there and then put them out on somebody else. And then the other one that I looked at 
is I don't like the curse ground ability. Because you get to put out two objective hexes, but then they go away. So I don't feel like that's... I don't think you use that at all during our game. I don't, I don't know if the goal is to hedge something up or, or what, but... Well, I, I, I think that I didn't use it. Because there were times I felt like I could have used it. But the problem is the matchup didn't benefit it. Because you had the splashlings that don't care because they can just bounce wherever. And then you had Sneaky Pete's models who were fast and they can kind of go wherever. And the dwarves were already where they're going to be. So, I mean, the dwarves weren't going to go anywhere else. So that ability was kind of just dead in the water, in my opinion. Yeah, I, well, I wish there was a way to use that ability where it could create some more some more hexes, objective hexes in the game. That you could claim. For you to be able to claim them, right? Like, it, it would be a different thing if Rattlebone, even if that ability was just on the plot phase instead of the clash, like then it's useful, right? If the wording were exactly the same, but just in the plot phase to where you had it for the full turn and you could pop up objective hexes and then claim on it. And then you didn't have to use your movement and then try and claim like there, even that would be better. Like, I don't understand why they, there was also, there was also times where I wish her, curses were a little further like there was a couple times where her curses were only this since they're only two hex range there were a couple times where i'm like man if this curse was like three if i could reach out and curse somebody three hexes away she would be a lot more effective so that was something else that i was kind of like ah man i wish that was different i think that would give her too much of a defensive advantage like she'd be able to play too far out yeah because she's already it would be better it'd be better it would be better for Rattlebones. I don't think it would be better for the game because it, there would be there would be less interaction with other models, and she's already strong because she already has that you know sum of six on her defensive stats. Yeah. So, and that that's something that we haven't really talked about, but Pete and I are kind of identifying that we find that with certain games when you have a combination of stats, you want to reach a certain number, not go beyond a certain number. Um, the good example of this is with Guild Ball, where between your defense and armor, you don't... They really were hesitant, the game creators, to go beyond a total of five. So, yep. so they'll give a defense five, but then zero armor, or a defense three, and then they're willing to give two armor. We've kind of found as we're looking at this game that that sweet spot is a total of six, whether that means, you know, a three, three like Rattlebone is, or whether you're talking about a high evasion, but low armor model or a, a low, I guess the word is an evasion. We should use the term dodge, uh, a, a low dodge, but high armor model like Rodri. So yeah. That's something to consider as you're looking at models and evaluating models is where is that balance of six points split between the dodge and the armor? Yeah, and I think that's important to kind of note. And you're going to notice that there are times where it's like, because I, I, I was reading some people arguing about, and not arguing, probably discussing is a better word, but where they were talking about, okay, is it better to have a four evasion or is it better to have four armor? 
And they were kind of going back and forth. And since you just have to meet the dodge value, that a four armor is better than a four evasion in most cases, just because uh, an evasion you just have to meet, but the armor you have to beat to do damage. So obviously the four armor, you're going to take less damage, uh, whereas the evasion and dodge, you just have to hit them. So I, I just thought that was interesting as well. But anything else you want to discuss on Rattlebones before we go to our number three? Nope. She's the four. Get her okay. the fuck and out. I, and like I said, honestly, if her ultimate was a little just tweaked and just a little little easier to pilot, then that would probably make her boost up a little bit. So I think that's kind of what's holding her back is just some of the... I'm sure somebody can play her and get really good with her, but it's just something that would take a lot of play style choices and, and reps. So uh, who's our number three there, Chris? I don't know. I thought you put together the countdown list. I, I did, and we already talked about it, so you should know who our number three is. Probably Naya? It is Naya. Okay, so, well, lucky guess. So not, yeah, Naya is our geomancer, so... She's either a dwarf or a gnome. I don't know if we know for sure. I think I heard Sherwin call her a gnome, uh, but she's either a dwarf or gnome. And she has these three followers, the Quartzlings. And I really like the way that she plays, but what are some strengths that you just see innately on the card, Chris? Three activations instead of two? Yeah, that's kind of the one big thing where as long as you have all three Quartzlings on the board... She gets three activations in the plot and three activations in the clash phase. Yeah, that's just fucking unreal. Yeah, so a couple of her highlights. So she's really, she's got evasion four, which is really nice to have. Uh, Also has two armor, so she meets that six kind of criteria we were just talking about. Uh, She does some really cool stuff because she's slow, but she has the march ability that Rodri has. She also has meditation, which she can give herself a a boon to basically make accuracy better. She can choose a boon on any model within range and then choose a friendly model to gain that boon. So she basically copies boons and puts it on a model. And then on her backside, she she does a little bit of blight because when she hits with her attacks, she does blight and it's range two for most of them. Uh, she can also copy blights on her opposite side. So the mirror, she does boons and on the backside in the clash phase, she can copy blights. And then she also does a little bit of damage. She throws five damage dice at whatever she's attacking. So she's a really flexible champion and the, the courtslings and her ultimate is where I really like her because that's where you can really get your points with, uh, with Naya, I feel, but. What do you think about her abilities before we get into the Quartzlings and and her other? Yeah, I think she's a really well-balanced model. Um, I agree with you about the ultimate play and, you know, being able to pop objective hexes where you want them to be. Um, I think that's super useful. And obviously it's, it's an advantage over a model like Rattlebone where you're looking at you know, having to pick those objective hexes up. Instead, she just gets to make more. And in a scenario like death, that's going to be super useful. Yeah, so the Quartzlings are pretty good by themselves. Uh, they they can move around pretty well. Uh, they have basically abilities to give you a movement blight, but they also can do some attack damage with Stone's Throw. 
and they move pretty fast. They have rolling stones so they can uh, move three hexes. But where they really kind of shine is with calcify. As long as they're next to an objective hex, they can one of them can get removed and they become an objective hex. So that ability and also Naya's ultimate where she can choose a quartzling that's next to an objective hex and replace it. And if it's two hexes from Naya, she can make a claim action. So she can make claim actions with her ultimate from two hexes away. So this ability to create and manipulate with her ultimate where she's making her claim action. And you can only do that in the plot phase, but it's still really, really strong. So I just love that ability of how flexible she is. She's a good example of I'm good at a bunch of different things and I'm good at positioning objective hexes and making claims. Yeah, I, th- I think that, you know, and it, it's it's the nature of this class, but it, it is amazing to me that Naya is the number three. That shows you how good one and two are. Yeah, N- Naya is Naya is incredibly strong. Uh, there's there's not, you know, broad areas where she has weakness that you need to be worried about. And yeah, definitely can control objective hexes just like crazy or, or more importantly, generate them like crazy to where you're not going to really have a lot of problems with having objective hexes where you want them uh, when Naya's on the table. Yeah, and she does have some pretty decent counters against her, though, because um, she's not the hardest model to kill. She actually can get dropped. Um, I think a model like Landslide or even uh, Grimgut, somebody that throws a bunch, well, Grimgut can't because he only attacks followers, but you know what I'm saying? Somebody that throws a bunch of attack dice to get through her uh, evasion, her dodge, are going to give her problems. And Anybody that can do auto damage to her followers, like Lorisan can just plink for one damage if she hits, that's going to totally neuter Naya. So I would be careful about bringing Naya if you know Lorisan could be across the table from you. Yeah, I think I think that's a good warning. But there, I mean, even the Quartzlings, like even against Maelstroms, like those Quartzlings are still a two four. So it's not like it's going to be easy to just take them off the board. Yeah, that's why I was saying Lorsan can just plink them, though. But um, the other thing that was uh, one of the abilities of the Quartzlings that I didn't mention was Rock Formation, where basically if somebody removes Naya's banner, you can do an immediate recruit action with the Quartzlings. So a lot of times, you know, you're like, oh, well, they're just going to squash that banner. But you're like, oh, that's okay. You know, I'll get a Quartzling back. Yeah, that's she's she's so useful. Like... I, I just like Nia a lot. Yeah, and so if I was going to bring a two-shaper list, I think it would be one of our top two, and then Nia would be a, a cool second shaper for that. Um, in, in a two-shaper list, I mean, you could really argue for any two of the top three, depending yeah. on what sort of combos you wanted to create and who the other one was. But I like Nia, and I think there's definitely use there, and I like that. At least she was in that starter box. <laughs> so moving on to our number two, and we've actually kind of come around on this a little bit. The more games we played and figured out how uh, rules actually worked, we actually kind of changed our minds a little bit on this. But our number two is actually Shale. Yep. 
So what are some of the things that shale and landslide do that are really different, unique, and cool, Chris? The the way that shale is able to take actions and then move landslide, landslide actually gets a shit ton of movement. Yep. And so I I didn't even realize this, you know, when I was playing them, but it, to me it seems a little bit broken that that landslide can move every time shale takes an action. So landslide basically gets in theory, eight, eight hexes of movement. Yeah. But I mean, that's also, there's that. And we, you actually did a good job of countering this for one activation where, you know, he has to be within three hexes of landslide, meaning shale does in order to benefit from that. Yeah, but how often so, are you that far away? Like, I mean, I, I had to really work to make that not function, right? I had to shield bash yep. landslide out of there. like, And within an activation, they were back within three of each other. Yep, that's for sure. So, so yeah, that's a really cool ability. I think that something else that is really big with landslide and shale is just... I'll, I'll start with shale because there's something I really like with shale. It didn't come up too much in our game because uh, it just, it wasn't popping up as much, but I, I've played a game where this really came into effect, but the, where is it? Rune weaving and then tremor are two abilities that shale, you really need to find your spot to use them and they're not going to pop up every game, but they're really good. Uh, rune weaving is when you can move a boon from a target to a friendly model. So basically you can go like, oh, I'm going to take the boon from, you know, let's just say Sneaky Pete and I'm going to move that to Landslide or I'm going to move that to Shale. And then on the backside with Tremor, you don't even need to roll for this, but it just says remove all boons from enemies within two hexes. So you can really position Shale and be like, oh, all these little boons you have on everybody, boom, they're gone. Yeah, sh- shale is is definitely a good counter to models that are going to bunch up and have a lot of boons. Yeah, and then obviously landslide is where I mean he's really the champion, right, Chris? <laughs> yeah, I mean he he's the one that has the god tier in him. So uh, yeah, you're using shale as a support piece to landslide, and then landslide's going to do most of the work. And Landslide will reposition people and he will take models out. So even if you can't position Landslide exactly where you need him. Which uh, you can. Yeah, but if there's a case where you can't just because your opponent counters it well, maybe. Earthquake is something that you have on both sides of his card where you can actually move people to Landslide. So if you hit with it, which it's only for accuracy, but if you hit with it, you can move them two hexes away towards you, whatever you want. So that's big. I love that effect. And then obviously Boulder Bash is huge. I I feel like Boulder Bash is a really strong attack. Yeah. Anytime you're looking at a six, six, that is, that's just, it's, it's stronger than most attacks out there. Yeah. So that's like, that's like a Slayer champion attack almost. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it, it is. And, and better than a lot of, Slayer champion attacks. Like, for example, with Sneaky Pete, for you to get a 6-6, like a natural 6-6, it's going to be that you need to use the ultimate play. Yeah, and this actually 
this actually did come up. Uh, let's talk about rubble for a second, Chris, on landslide. So when landslide dies, he becomes a, an objective hex. Mm-hmm. Now, you were saying that you actually there was a point in our game where you didn't want you shouldn't have killed landslide. Do you want to kind of talk about that for a second? Yeah, but that was more of an order of activation thing. I I didn't I didn't want to or or what I should have recognized is I didn't want to remove landslide off of the table where he was at so that he could then be recruited next to shale like they were they were a little ways apart and landslide would not have been able to affect other models as effectively if he had to be moved over there yeah because basically it allowed me to recruit and then i was able to earthquake uh, i think i earthquaked wraith or something like that so it's just one of those you recruited and then you you earthquaked onto uh rodri and move rodri out of position oh that's right i did yeah you're right so so but that's just one of those things showing the flexibility of of shale and landslide and and how they impact the board yeah they're they're really good i mean landslide is definitely that you know chewbacca sidekick where there's there's a lot of a lot more power in the sidekick than the primary model so and we haven't even talked about the real game changer which is avalanche avalanche can win you the game by itself yeah avalanche is is very strong and depending on the scenario it gets stronger right when you're when you're talking about I, I think that the thing that shale, that needs to be changed with shale is rune collar. Rune collar just needs to be once per per phase. It can't it, like the idea of it being with each action in each phase is, I think, just overpowering when it comes to you know landslide being able to be placed where avalanche can be used. Yeah. And it, it, it's there's so many problems with it that. I really wish that they'd reel it in. So, yeah, my view of Shale and Landslide has really changed given how I thought they initially played, and now I know there's some differences, but there's some more advantages that we've discovered. So, I mean, right now I think that they're just super strong. Yeah, so Avalanche, those that pe- those, if people don't know... Avalanche basically is off of landslide. So landslide is the one that this this goes and measures from. So it, each objective hex within three hexes of landslide, you get to move that objective hex one onto an empty non-objective hex. And models on there move with them. So it doesn't matter if somebody's on the hex, they slide with it. So this lets you move the hexes back to you. It lets you protect banners. It makes it where your opponents can't get to your banners. Uh, Maybe it makes it where one of your slayers can kill, maybe get to a model with both their attacks. There's just so much flexibility. Where they can't get to you. Yeah, exactly. A lot of flexibility with it. Yeah, the uh, landslide is obviously the strongest of all followers and avalanche is probably the strongest of all ultimates. Uh, we're going to talk about another one here in a second. That's pretty good. So it is yeah. a really strong ultimate. Yeah. But I mean, you're, you're talking about, you're talking about shale and landslide being really like that S rank. Yeah. 
and yeah, and they're and, and they're the ones that we're discussing as number two. So, what is, if anything, Chris? How do you deal with landslide and shale? How do you deal with these two? It's it's really tough because it's so it's so easy to just recruit landslide and and pop him up again. That man, it, it, there's there's not a lot of great options. I mean, it, getting them separated is is the best way to go, but good luck keeping them separated. And yeah, I mean, I, I guess the way that you'd ultimately want to do it is if you can get landslide pushed to the middle of nowhere and then somehow kill shale and keep pushing shale away from landslide. So then landslide is inherently always zero movement. Yeah. So, so landslide becomes useless and then you just repeatedly kill shale until, uh, until shales push so far back on the other side of the bo- board that uh, it, it's it's going to be tough. Like they're yeah, it's, I it's think you, they're really really powerful. I think where you got to do it is you got to have somebody to threaten killing shale, uh, which is tough because he is dodge four right. So and he only has five boxes though. So if you can put a blight on him to make it easier to hit him. And then when you knock him out, push him two hexes away, maybe get somebody else to push uh, landslide two hexes in the opposite direction. Uh, I think that you got to kind of split them up and you got to make it where instead of using their activations to get points, if you can use shale and landslides activations just to get back together, that's where you start to really kind of address the issues with them. So, um, I, I think that a more experienced player, Shell and uh, Landslide, become kind of a nightmare. But if somebody's not used to playing Shell and Landslide, you you can probably abuse that a little bit. Yeah, but but it's 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 going to just be so difficult. Yeah, because like you said, there was a time when we played where you did that, but then I quickly corrected it in that same activation. So it was just one of those things where you really it's hard to kind of keep them separated. Yeah, you what you, you almost need two two different warbands to deal with it cuz you need you need one that can push landslide everywhere so that landslide gets moved away and then you need another that can kill shale repeatedly so shale can't move toward landslide it's it's just going to be tough. So so yeah, you you I guess it's a matter of slayer Slayer slash Shaper combo to deal with Landslide and Shale? Maybe. I, I, I don't think you can do it with just one one warband. Probably not. So uh the only warband that I think might be able to manage that would be maybe uh Rangosh's warband would be good at that because I feel like Rangosh can threaten both of those models. Y- yeah. Uh Okay. Well, yeah, yeah. So Rangosh is the number one slayer. So hopefully he could. It, 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 the The problem is, y- you have to have them so far apart that it's hard for Rangosh to be doing that to both of them that far apart from each other. Yeah. So yeah, I I think it's a matter of one side pinning down landslide and the other side pushing shale 
back further and further. It, it, good luck. I mean, Lunsider <laughs> Shale is definitely a warband that people should learn and put into use. Yeah, I, I think the more you can pressure uh, Shale, I think the more you can kind of keep them under control. So I, I just, and it's tough because, I mean, Landslide can push you away from Shale. So it is tough because he can either do that to the champion or all of the follower followers that are on the table that he hits. He, he can go, I'm going to move all three or all five of you away. So it, it is one of those things that it's, it's tough to deal with. But, I mean, the number one's got to be a hell of a number one if we're putting him over Shale, right? Yep. And it is... Wraith Mareed. Yep. So Wraith, when we first put Wraith on the table, I was like, this guy sucks, right? Like I just saw a target for Rangosh. And in the game we played, he basically was a target for Rangosh. Now we've learned different. And learned how to play him. Yeah. The when I played him in that other game, I saw the huge synergies between Wraith and the Splashlings. And those are pretty difficult. Wraith inherently already has, you know, a a lot of boxes, um, pretty strong armor. But when you're putting people into a situation where whether they allow the Splashlings to live, that can mess them up with a whole bunch of movement or... You kill the Splashlings, and then it buffs Wraith the whole time. Or Wraith can decide to remove the slash Splashlings himself, and it buffs Wraith the whole time. And then all those all those boons going on Wraith buffs up the Splashlings. Like, it, it's, it's just a pick your poison, you're damned if you do, and you're damned if you don't. And there's... The, the biggest knock on Wraith is the one movement on both sides of the card. But even that's not true because you can splash all over the place with the splashling. So you actually get supreme amounts of movement. Well, and and he has lunging strike. And and he has lunging strike, right? So, So Wraith is a model that is able to move all over the place, super strong movement capabilities, super strong boon uh, boon uh, additions and and benefits and then is also a killing model like there's I don't think that there's a model outside of like the Maelstrom Slayer sets and most of them don't even do that do this where they have two attacks in the clash phase yeah. Like it's mind boggling that Wraith has got headbutt and lunging strike. And neither well, of them are it, like weak attacks. Well, and it, hey, if you want to make those attacks better, go ahead and put a boon on yourself when you step on a splashling. Yeah. <laughs> so so and, and you're able to pop over there and say, Curse Splash, you kill a splashing, you take the the offensive boon that you want, then you make an attack. Potentially, that attack is giving you some additional movement. If you're talking about lunging strike, it, it, you're you're getting like this this shaper slash slayer combo. So, and here's why Wraith is really kind of a big deal because the things that make him good 
he can manage with himself and the splashlings. He doesn't need the extra help from your opponent or he doesn't need the extra help from your other champions. So he's really good out on a flank, really kind of positioning, getting his points, but then pushing in the flank and really kind of getting extra points by killing stuff or denying banners. And it's one of those things where the splashlings are actually super hard to kill because they're like water, you know, like Mr. Lee said, you got to be like water (laughs) and they can basically put boons on themselves and it makes them harder to kill. I mean, these things are evasion four, and you can get them up higher, right? Because it says you can choose a boon that's on Wraith and put it on a Splashling. So if you put an evasion boon on Wraith, now that's on the Splashling. So now they're evasion five. And they can also, there's so much repositioning with this warband, it's ridiculous. And and it, the, the, thing that's, the thing that adds to that and makes it even more nuts is it's not just repositioning your models. They have repositioning enemy models as well. So you can use Tide with the Splashlings to move your opponent's models around, and you can use Current to move them three hexes. So for for models... Yeah, and it's a place, so you don't have to worry about things being in your way. So for models to have such strong movement capabilities, even in the case of of Wraith himself, right? He has Curse Splash where he can be using the Splashlings to get moving around, but he's also got the ultimate play where you pop him in the middle of a whole bunch of enemies and then he gets to move them all over the place. So yeah. it, he's, he's so efficient. And I don't know how we didn't see this immediately, but now that we've just, we've figured out how to use him and, and the fact that you kind of, get him going in the, that first, like, you know, plot phase slash uh, clash well, usually, phase in turn usually one. turn one. Yeah, usually turn one is almost, it, it can be a dead turn, but the fact that he can buff himself up and get ready for turn two is kind of what's really unique about him. Yeah, by the time you're in turn two, you potentially have two boons on yourself, which you have and the Splashlings are able to copy. And it's he just gets to be pretty pretty difficult to deal with. I mean, as good as Shale is, and I'm not looking to double up classes in a, in a set of four, um, and I'm not looking to play dub, doubles in a class, I mean, I, I almost think that he's like an auto-include. Like, there's... There's not really weaknesses there. When you consider how much killing can get done, the strength of those attacks against either other champions or uh, followers, the amount of movement that can get done, the fact that you get the class bonus by just placing a banner, and then if the banner gets smashed, you still already got your bonus. That it, he's he's just so strong, like it's just ridiculous. Well, the. Another thing is, one, if you don't kill Wraith in one or two like activations, you're not going to see him probably the rest of that turn. Just because you can use Tsunami defensively, like you said. When we played our game, Chris, you just popped in, planted your, uh, planted your banner, you made a claim, and then you just pushed my models two hexes away, and 
really neutered me for that turn. But then also you can just jump to a splashling, curse splash it. Now you give yourself the evasion or you give yourself the armor boon. And then you can even just do another walk if you wanted to. Or if you wanted to, give yourself a movement boon. And now you can move two away. So essentially you're placing yourself five hexes away from whatever was threatening you. But you'll almost never want to use that movement boon. And the reason why you'll almost never want to take that, unless you're maxed out on all the other ones and you've got like four boons on yourself already, you you almost never want to use that because you'd rather curse splash and take out one of your own splashlings and then get the bonus, get get the boon bonus. So, you know, like I'm looking at the card now and I see this one movement on the card, and it's really deceptive because I feel like you, if you play Wraith properly, you feel like you have unlimited movement. So yeah, it's, it's just I, I feel like the only way you can really limit Wraith is to limit his movement, and that's by killing the Splashlings. So you got to have a model that can really either get those Splashlings really which you can't even get them out of the way so you really just have to kill them which is tough with their evasion four or five if they have a boon so you have to have a model that can somehow get through the evasion that these these dodge that these models have and i don't know about you but there's not a lot of models that can deal with dodge five yeah there's not a lot of models that can deal with dodge five and you're not going to wipe all of them out because the very yeah. nature of where you want to place them to give They're Wraith the greatest ability is spread out. So good luck getting to models that are six hexes away from each other and killing them all. Yeah, the, the only model that can really threaten that is probably Lorsan, just because she all of her attacks are like three hexes away, and she has a couple of attacks that are throwing like six seven dice so i think she's probably the best counter for wraith if there is one sure and 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 then this is how i would how i would play wraith into that is i'd be like okay well we're just going to commit to launching wraith across the board and then once wraith is in lorson's face lorson has a hard time yeah it'd be an actually an interesting uh matchup and I, I would actually kind of be interested to play Lorisana in that because I think that that would be an interesting matchup because you're trying to counter that but you also you kind of got to be careful with Wraith because you are only a dodge two so especially with the mystic arrow I mean rolling five dice twice for damage is pretty good so Wraith would have to be a little careful in that because he might get shot in the face. Well, ideally, I'm looking at a situation with Wraith where Wraith is putting boons on himself and upping the evasion, upping the armor. So, I mean, like... He yeah, but that's, that's just for one attack, though. Sure. It, it is just for one attack, but, I mean, that that gives a lot of resilience. It, when you look at Lorson, like, Wraith's, Wraith's attacks are... Five and six for accuracy. Lorson's a four, a four dodge. So if those dice roll better than average or or even average and you get fours, well, you're going to start mopping up Lorson quick because Lorson has no armor and has fewer boxes than Wraith. 
Yeah, but if I was Lorsan and you have boons on Wraith, I basically go with Snipe. I throw seven dice and, you know, try to plink you for a couple damage. And then I go with Mystic Arrow, which will hit then because you're only back down to dodge two. And then I roll five dice twice to try and, you know, put, you know, maybe four four damage on Wraith in that one attack. So it's one of those things where you're right. There are ways to definitely deal with Lorsan in the flip side. But I think the fact that she has the range on him and I and she can move a little hmm, when she attacks, she gets the extra movement, which can help her try to distance a little bit from him. But yeah, it's definitely an interesting matchup. I would definitely like to see it on the table because sure, I but think it would play out really cool. It, it, it would play out cool. And I'm just looking at how they compare with each other, right? When you yeah. start talking about the other factors of who you could add to Wraith, there, there aren't a lot of people that you can add to Lorson that's going to make, you know, Lorson way, way more than what she's already built to do. But if you start trying to hunt Lorson with Wraith and another Slayer, right, or or you do things to uh, to add to Wraith, like like I think that it's an interesting matchup just one on one. But yeah. Wraith is the model that if you look at giving Wraith assistance, Wraith is able to benefit even more from the assistance than the type of assistance you can give to Lorson. Yeah. So, I mean, but it's no surprise. I think Lorson isn't that great. So, um, <laughs> you know, there, I, I obviously have bias here, but Wraith is, is superior. Right, as far as just uh, champions, our conversation about champions in general, he's an incredible champion. Yeah, yeah, he's definitely he's he's just really good. The more we've played him, the more we've just been like, man, this guy really, really is good. And then, man, I tell you what, we played our game, Chris, and you spiked on Rattlebones, and you just dropped the crap out of her. And I was just like, oh damn, boy. <laughs> yeah, well, and and the times are down. I think about the times where where Wraith got hits on people with the lunging strike, and then got to move and take out banners like in in the same action. Wraith yeah. Wraith, Wraith needs a nerf. Like that, that's the only. Eh, I don't know. No, Wraith needs a nerf. Like like Wraith is a really really strong model, and and we'll yeah. we'll talk about it as as time goes on. But if somebody said Wraith is the best champion in this game. That's not an unreasonable statement. I mean, I can see him argued as one of the best models in the game. I think we need to pump the brakes on a nerf, though, just because I don't know if being flexible is necessarily call for a nerf. Plus, you got to keep in mind, there might be something in the pipe as far as champions being released that might be a good better counter for him so it's it's one of those things where i think we gotta we gotta kind of keep our ear to the ground and just see what they are and honestly shale does an okay job countering what wraith does because all the boons can go away really quickly with shale and honestly landslide can do a pretty good job of putting damage onto uh onto wraith as well so i'm not saying it's the perfect counter but there's definitely some playability around him sure sure i agree with that but I would rather see a model get nerfed than see the power creep of having to create stronger and stronger models to counter. 
And so, so you're right. I agree. Shale, Shale does offer some good answers to Wraith. And uh, I definitely think that, you know, Rangosh could offer some good counters to Wraith. And th- that does exist. But the fact that we've just had this conversation about a Shaper class and not only is the nature of the bonuses for the class really strong, but the fact that they have such strong models within that class and, you know, they have this this one and two of Wraith and Shale that are able to create so many problems for so many other models. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard to argue that there's anything better than than Shapers out there. Well, and you think about how you score the most points in this game, and you score the most points with claim actions and banners being dropped, right? It's the easiest and most effective way to get points. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that since they can manipulate how that game is positioned, that makes the class really strong. Because not only am I getting the extra points for claiming, but now I get to affect the board where it's harder for you to claim your banners and it's harder for you to keep them on the board so i just think it's a really interesting class and it's definitely i'm not going to rank the classes yet because we'll do that in the last class episode we do but i think that they're easily the top two classes i think that they have the they have some of the strongest champions and they definitely do some of the strongest things in the game yeah and so i guess that'll have to be something that we discuss is like are we talking about the ranking of the nature of the class or are we talking about the models in the class? Because the current models. Yeah, because if we're talking about the models in the class, I mean, just having Wraith and Shale, you know, make just shoot shapers up there. Um, and, then, and, and then there's Naya, who's number three and still an awesome model. So, uh, I actually kind of wonder if you could run like a three shaper list. I'm not ever going to do that, but a three shaper list list with Wraith, Shale, and Naya, and how that would go for you, because they're so evenly balanced and they're able to help each other out so much that it it, it could be pretty strong. Yeah, I I actually thought about that list and I might have tried it, but you wanted to use Wraith, so I was like, okay, I'll I'll just go with these two and you know see what else happens. Yeah, well, we might have another opportunity to do that. We'll see. Yep. So the, yeah, the, the <laughs> I mean, they're just a good class. I definitely like the Shaper class a lot. Uh, I think I'm going to struggle to find a game where I don't bring a Shaper. I don't know about you, Chris, but I feel like having one Shaper is just a, it's a boon. It's just something that I don't know if I want to, you know, play a game without a Shaper on the board. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm not planning on it. So yeah, they're just really flexible and help you out. Yeah. All right. Well, so I think that was a good kind of coverage of all four champions that are right now available as uh, shapers. So just to kind of recap, we had Rattlebones at four, we had Naya at three, we had Shale at two, and then finally our our champion that we put up in the front was uh, Wraith Marid. So just yeah, I mean a lot of really good stuff in that class. Um, and I think the next class that we're going to talk about next week is going to be the guardian class. 
So that means that Chris has to play a game where he actually uses a guardian besides Rodri. Hey, I use Rodri. That should be enough. <laughs> I think once you see what some of the other guardians do, you might be like, okay, I've already I've seen what half Tusk does and that's annoying too. So yeah, I think the only ones you haven't seen are Finvar. I think that's the only one you haven't seen. And there's only three guardians right now. No, there's- Nope, there's the four. four. The other one. Oh, uh, the other one's Morn Blade. Yeah, yeah. So I just have to see. I just have to see Finvar then. Yep. So that'll be a, a good episode to run. But any uh, last minute things, Chris, before we uh, wrap this thing up? Nope. I think that we're in good shape. We. This is a nice long episode for everyone. And one thing I would say, if you are trying to grow God tier in your community, I would recommend since we're all currently kind of locked down, you know, the stores are starting to slowly open back up, but I think most store owners are not opening up their play areas or it's very limited. So if you need to get people into the game, uh, easy way to kind of hook people are through tabletopia because the mod there is actually pretty easy to learn and it looks clean on the table we have a couple of um, gameplays on our rage quit wire youtube channel you can check out but it's just an easy way to get people interested in the game and it's fun it's quick uh, and i think that's an easy way to do it but once you have enough models i mean i chris can tell you i haven't been inviting people to my house for like one-on-one games and and it's, it's been good to get people interested in the game because I think once people play, they get super interested in the game and how the combinations work with each champion. Yep. Uh, I definitely think inviting people over to your house and agreeing to feed them is probably a good way to get people exposed to this game. Yeah, that's And sure. any other game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, and that's all we do a lot of times. We're like, hey, we're going to make dinner. You know, we can get some games in, check out models, talk about strategy, hear how Chris, you know, rage quit over something. Yep, eat some giant strombolis from the pizza place just down the street. Oh, man, I tell you what, that that giant block of mozzarella in that thing clogged me up for, like, days. (laughs) (laughs) Working our way toward a heart attack. That's right. All right, well, make sure that you guys are subscribing to our YouTube channel. Make sure that you guys check out the Facebook. We're doing a lot of streaming at least three to four times a week. We're doing something. So make sure that you guys are getting on there. If you want to interact in the chat, we're always looking at it. That way you guys can talk to Chris or myself while we're doing the gameplay. And you can always talk a little shit to us, you know, maybe talk about how dumb we are. You can. <laughs> I even got smashed by Mike Klein on a tabletop simulator playing uh, Song of Ice and Fire the other day. So you can see that too. Oh, you put that on the stream as well? Yeah, yeah. Mike Klein just smashed me. It was bad. He played that nonsense like Stark list with like, I don't know, a crap ton of activations and just very fast and mobile. Yeah, the one with the three wolves in it. Uh, I think he j- he actually had, I think, two cavalry units, one of the wolves. He had Rob as his commander, had like two or three NCUs and some Stark dudes just getting all angry in my face. And it was just a bad time. I was playing the Baratheon like starter box and it wasn't good. It was so <laughs> slow. Oh, and we got our buddy uh, Nick at Barding Tokens. If you, oh yeah, if don't you forget support some, some 3D printed stuff. Yeah, and if you look at the last video Chris and I did on stream with God Tier, 
we had that cool token holder for God tier where all our tokens were in there. I don't know if he has the clear to sell that, but you can PM him and ask him on his Etsy page. So feel free to uh, talk to Nick about that. Yep. And save some money. Use the uh, promo code RageQuit at checkout and you'll save a little bit of money. And also support your favorite Rage Quit podcast. Yay, that's us. <laughs> All right. Also, be on the lookout. We're designing new dice for this new sequence of patrons. We hope to lure into our web for patron uh, patronage. Yep, the patronage. It's gonna be. It's gonna be kind of cool. It's gonna be a little different than the last one we did, where we did the salt shaker. I think this one's going to have some kind of battle axe on it. So we're, we're designing one up for y'all. Yep. We're working on it. We're going to get you something cool. All right. Well, with that being said, Chris, I think, uh, think we had a good talk about the guardians, but until next time, make sure that you guys roll dice, you throw shapers. salt, and we'll see y'all next time. You meant shapers. What? You meant what? shapers. You said guardians. What? No. Get this shit together. Roll dice, throw okay. salt. We're out. Guardians. Shapers. Oh.